Good morning. Uh, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. Uh, I, you are those that chose to brave the treacherous blizzard conditions of snow totals up to uh, less than an inch. Congratulations, man. You are the faithful. We are, we are so glad that you're with us here today. Uh, maybe this is your, your first time today and you, you chose to, 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 to fight off the elements to come for the very first time. And if that's true, that means that I haven't had the chance to meet you yet and I'd love to get that opportunity. My name is Brian. Uh, I'm one of, the, one of the pastors here and I have the privilege today of uh, concluding our series that we've been in for the last several weeks as we've been walking through the book of Jonah. Now, we've been in this series called Castaway, and today is the, the fifth and the final uh, message in that series. And so what we've done each week is we've kind of looked at one chapter a week of the book of Jonah. There are four weeks in the book of Jonah, and we're in week five. So if you're doing math in your head right now, you know I've run out of chapters, all right? But we've said all along that throughout the study of, of the book of Jonah, that Jonah was pointing us to something Better. Jonah was pointing us to something greater. Jonah wasn't just this cool story in the Old Testament about a dude that got swallowed by a fish, but it was a story about something bigger, about something better, and it was, it was pointing us to something. It was drawing our attention to something. And we said that that thing that it's trying to draw our attention to is, in fact, Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. We, we did this, this study, uh, I think, at the end of last year. We, we said that, you know, the, the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus, much like the movie uh, or the story of Superman is the story about Superman. It's about the person. And much in the same way, the Bible is about a person. It is about Jesus that came for us. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we have these opportunities to look forward and to see pictures of Christ. And the book of Jonah is, in fact, that very thing. So today, uh, we're not going to be turning to or, or looking at the, the book of Jonah, but if you have your Bibles or if you're following along with us on your phone, on version, you're going to want to find Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus actually refers back to the book of Jonah so that we can learn some other things about what the book of Jonah was trying to get our attention about. So if you want to look with me at Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 38. And Matthew says this, recording the words and the, this account of uh, Jesus' interaction with some Pharisees. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, and in an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I want to stop here real quick and uh, offer a disclaimer because Jesus said, you're looking for a sign, but I'm not going to give you a sign. Because these scribes and Pharisees, they didn't want a sign because they needed more evidence to believe. They wanted a sign because they were still in the process of trying to disprove and discredit the work of Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that for those who are genuinely seeking, that God does provide answers and God does provide evidence. And for those who are seeking, God will reach out and meet your seeking, that those who seek will find. But in this case, Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign because you're not really seeking. You're not seeking because you really want to know more. You're seeking for the for the wrong reasons. I just wanted to, 
to point that out. And the same is true for us a lot today. For, for us, for those of us that still may be on the fence on this whole Jesus thing, it's not most likely because of a lack of evidence to the fact that Jesus is who he says that he is and who the Bible says that he is, but it has less to do with the evidence that we have and more to do with what we do or don't actually want to believe. The Bible is clear that when we, when we really do want to believe and when we really do want to know more, that God provides that for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, watch this. This is pretty cool stuff. Remember, remember the Ninevites, those evil, evil, wicked, horrible people that Jonah went and preached to and they all repented? Look what Jesus says about them. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Y'all remember the preaching of Jonah? Remember, how, remember, remember, that, remember that awesome sermon he preached, right? They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. The people of Nineveh are going to rise up in the last days because they heard a weak, half-hearted message and they repented. The Pharisees will be condemned because they heard a better message and did not. So as I see it, as I read just these, these three verses here in the book of Matthew, I believe that Jesus here gives us three questions that we need the answer to as we close out our study on the book of Jonah. So if you're taking notes and you want to write these down, here are the three questions that we have to answer in reference to what we've learned already from the book of Jonah and now what, Matthew, or what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12. Here they are. How was Jesus' message similar to Jonah's? How was Jesus' message greater than Jonah's? And will the men of Nineveh condemn you on the day of judgment? Three questions. I got answers for all of them. You ready? All right, here we go. Uh, number one, how was Jesus' message similar to Jonah's? Do you remember Jonah's message? Look with me, Jonah chapter three, verse four. This was one verse, right? One, one verse, eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. All right, here we go. Jonah's message. Jonah three, four, began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all of Jonah's message. If you weren't with us for, for week three of the series, we talked about this message. This is all that the Ninevites got from Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So there's not a lot here to pick out as we're trying to figure out the similarities between Jesus' message and Jonah's message. There's not a lot to draw from here, but I think there are at least maybe two phrases, two words or two thoughts in this verse that we can relate to something that Jesus said. And the two words or phrases are 40 days and overthrown. 40 days and overthrown. 40, day, 40 in the Bible is typically a number for, for testing. It's a number for judgment. It's a number for punishment. And do you see that number 40 show up different times? Remember how many days and nights it flooded? 
It's 40, right? Do you remember how many years the Israelites had to wander in the desert because of their disobedience? 40. And then they did it again. They got another 40, right? Remember, they had to take another lap, right? Like, so 40, 40, Elijah and Moses in the Old Testament when they fasted, how many days? You don't have to know because you're like, well, I don't know that one. You, you don't have to guess because I just told you it's 40. Like over and over and over again, when we see the number 40 show up in scripture, it has to do with a set period of time where testing will take, take place prior to judgment. So Jonah's message was there's an imminent threat against your life, 40 days. Now, I think, I believe his was probably most literally an, an actual 40 days, but oftentimes it's this, just this season where God is allowing testing to take place so that judgment can be offered. 40 always represents the coming of judgment. And Jesus taught the same thing, that that there is an imminent urgent need for us to respond to the gospel because our days are limited. And we are in a season of testing. We call it life. And also he says that that Nineveh shall be overthrown. The the word overthrown in scripture is, this is a war term. We, We like to believe that our sin, the reason that God dislikes our sin so much and it hates our sin so much is because our sin is an offense to other people that it hurts, and that's true. Our sin will always hurt or will always impact or affect other people. But what we have to remember is that ultimately our sin is an affront and an offense to a holy and perfect and righteous God who is also, FYI, a just God, meaning that all crimes don't go unpunished. All crimes receive a punishment. And what we see here in this message, this idea of being overthrown is that what Jonah is actually telling me is that God's justice will come to these evil and wicked, horrible people. You shall be overthrown. God will get what's coming to him. Because he's a holy and righteous and just God. And if you refuse to worship, if you refuse to repent, you shall be overthrown. You see, our sin is is the root of this. And we we said a couple of weeks ago that all sin could be traced back to to one source. And it's this, this idea of idolatry. That there is something in our lives that is in the place that God desires to be. It's an idol, anything. It could be lots of things. And we said none of us, I hope none of us, are bowing down to wooden or golden statues at our house and and praying or worshiping. But oftentimes our idols can be something that we didn't see. It's when a good thing becomes a God thing that it becomes a bad thing. And it's the idolatry in our lives where something has taken the place that God desires to be. And what we, what we typically do in our, in our pride, because we're arrogant and because we're human and we do that kind of stuff, is we say, yeah, but this, I mean, what does it, it really hurt for me to, to be concerned with this thing? You know what? Why doesn't God just mind his own business? I'll stay out of his way and he can just stay out of my way. Anybody ever had that thought? Don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't wanna make you look bad. I've had that thought uh, prior to understanding how God relates to us as humans. And here's the reality, that, that God doesn't have any business that's not his. It's all his. But it's, it's when we fall into this trap of idolatry or, or this trap of pride where we believe that we know better for us than him. And God, if you'll just stay out of my way, I'll stay out of yours. Like I'll come to church, I'll throw a 20 in the box. Like God, just, let's, just, let's just, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But that's not how God works. We don't have any business that's not his. Us trying to rebel against God is like the fish trying to rebel against the ocean. 
Now you can hop up out of the ocean, but it ain't gonna live very long because we were designed to live in a specific environment that God has created for us. And God is in control of all of that. All of it belongs to him. You don't have any business that's not his. And so when, when Jonah was telling the Ninevites and when Jesus tells us that God's judgment will come, what he's telling us is that God will get justice for what is his and it's all his. We get, the, we, we get a choice to honor him with our lives or to rebel against him. And again, rebelling is like the fish rebelling against the ocean. So that's how Jesus' message is similar to Jonah's. Again, not a whole lot of comparisons, but we get quite a bit more content when we answer this question. How is Jesus' message greater than Jonah's? How is Jesus' message greater than Jonah? I'm gonna give you, Jonah's, I'm gonna give you three reasons. Three reasons. Number one, the sureness of it. The sureness of Jesus' message is how it's different. Jonah's message was extremely truncated. Again, five Hebrew words, eight in our English. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it left the Ninevites with this conundrum. That's a good word. Conundrum. It left them in this state like, okay, 40 days and we might, and we overthrow. Well, what do we do now? Jonah didn't give the invitation. Jonah didn't invite anybody to follow God. Jonah didn't do anything. He just said, hey, 40 days and you're gonna die. And that's all he left them with. Remember, remember the response? Look at, let's look at together. Jonah chapter three, verse nine. Remember the Ninevites response? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe if we turn and relent from this, if we repent, maybe God will relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I don't, maybe. There was no, there was no certainty in Jonah's message. But Jesus, when he taught, left absolutely no doubt and the scriptures record it for us beautifully. Now, some of you love it when I do this, some of you hate it when I do this, but I'm gonna give you a bunch of verses rapid fire to prove a point, to make that, this isn't something that I'm making up, this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Are you ready for this? Don't try to, don't try to like write them down. We're just gonna read them real quick together. You ready? All right, here we go. John chapter six, verse 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's a lot of certainty there. John chapter three, verse 16. We know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's certainty in that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isaiah recorded it this way. Isaiah in chapter one, verse 18 says, come now. Speaking on behalf of God, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Come on, somebody, that's good news. This morning, if you got some sins, you're looking red, but God said, I'll make you white. That's good news. And then uh, Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank because it's a promise made by God. Somebody clap for it, please. Come on, we can, we can get a little bit excited about the promises of Jesus that give us a certainty about the hope that we can have in him. He didn't leave any doubt. He didn't leave anything unsaid. Jesus said, if you, you want rest for your soul, I'll give you that. I, I didn't come 
so that the world would perish, but I came that they might have life. God sent me to bring life. And any of you that the Father gives me, I'll never cast them out. Once you're mine, you're mine. That's the message of Jesus, the sureness of it. The second thing that we notice about Jesus' message is the richness of Christ's message. The richness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake, he made him, that being God, made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we, we can't miss that. That Jesus took our place. You got to understand the beauty, the richness of Jesus' message, that he took our place. That could, that, that's a four-word gospel right there. Jesus in our place. Four words, that's it. He is the one who took our place, who stands under or stood under God's wrath that we might walk in his righteousness. When, um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a job lined up. I was in Charlotte, really, really nice salary. I had to interview with the company, come home and talk to them and emailed a whole lot and we, we'd work stuff out and I was gonna go work for them the day that I got home or the week that I got home. About a month and a half or two months before I was discharged from the military, that company shut down. They just closed the doors and shut up, shut up shop forever. Like they're done, like no more. So I came home unemployed, all right? Which is a, which is a great feeling. It's awesome. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. I came home unemployed. However, a year before I got out of the Marine Corps, I got married which means that what was hers was mine. And so even in my unemployment, I had money to live on because I was married. Now she was a teacher, so we didn't have a lot to live on, but we had enough to make it because there was something that belonged to me that I didn't get for myself. And that is exactly what we find in Christ, that he gives to something that we could not get for ourselves. And in the same way that I was able to trade on something that somebody else was doing, she was going to work, she was doing the labor, but I was reaping the benefits of the paycheck as an unemployed house husband with no kids. <laughs> I just watched TV and play video games. Like it was, it was awesome for a season. And then I got a job and y'all know how jobs go, right? They're not as much fun. But what was hers was mine. And what we have in Christ is what was his, his righteousness, his holiness, his good and right standing before God. He gave that to us. He took our place. He took upon himself our sin and gave us his righteousness. We can't miss that. It's the richness of Jesus' message. And the third thing, number three, that makes Jesus' message greater than Jonah is the character of of the one who's bearing it, the character of the one bearing it. Jonah hated the Ninevites. You remember? Jonah hated them. Jesus could not be more different. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran toward it. Jonah came only because he had to. He knew God was gonna kill him if he didn't. Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah sat outside the city and hoped for Nineveh's destruction. 
Jesus sat outside the walls of Jerusalem and he prayed and he wept. And he was in anguish for the salvation of the Israelites. The only reason Jonah delivered his message to Nineveh was to save his life. Jesus delivered his message, though it cost him his life. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his sin. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath for hours. Jonah was taken down into the depths of darkness for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was placed in the tomb for three days because of ours. Jonah was more upset about the death of a plant giving him shade than he was the destruction of children. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus gladly bore the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jonah showed up bearing only an announcement of condemnation. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. When God's mercy was extended to Nineveh, Jonah wallowed in self-pity and cursed God. Jesus depicted himself of a father who yearns for the return of his son so badly that he runs to him and embraces him before he has the chance to say he's sorry. So when we look at the message of Jesus, when we answer these first two questions, number one, how is it similar? 40 days overthrown. But how is it different? The, the, the sureness of us, the promises of Jesus' message, the fullness and the richness of it, that he would take our place and that this message was given to us by one who laid down everything for us. How could we not trust or believe it? Which leaves us with just our third question that we have to answer based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 12. Will the Ninevites condemn you on the day of judgment? The men of Nineveh will rise up against this generation and condemn it, Jesus said, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Will your pride or will your idols? I think it was John Calvin that said that the heart is an idol factory. It just produces idols all the time. And the idols that we, we have now are not the idols that we had when we were eight. When, when I was 18, my idols were completely different than the idols that, I've, that I battle now. And as I get older and as my life changes and I enter a different season of life, I'll have different idols that I battle because there will always be something that competes for the spot that God desires to have in our lives. Will your pride or will that thing that is in the place that God desires to be in your life make you one of the people that the Ninevites condemn? On the day of judgment. I don't preach like this a lot, but we need to have an honest conversation this morning, you and me. That's you, the person, not you, collective. Remember the, remember the central verse in Jonah? We said that there were like 24 verses after it and 23 verses before it. There was one verse that was central. Do you remember what it was? Jonah chapter two, verse eight, it says this. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's steadfast love or God's love for them. Those who cling to things that are worthless, forfeit, turn away from 
God's love for them. There's a story of a man in 1833. His name is George Wilson. I can remember that because I watched Dennis the Menace growing up. But a man by the name of George Wilson in 1833, he robbed the U.S. mail carriers in Pennsylvania and he was sentenced to life in prison. Mr. Wilson had lots of very powerful friends. And so in 1833, President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for George Wilson. Here's the crazy part of the story. He refused it. I don't, I don't, we don't really know why. We don't know if he just really liked prison life or if he felt like he deserved to be punished for the crimes that he committed. We don't know. But all we know is that Mr. Wilson refused the pardon offered by the president of the United States. And then the warden said, well, the president said you can leave. I can't keep you here. Believe it or not, this case made it all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, they had to make a ruling as to whether or not Mr. Wilson got to stay in jail or if he had to go home. And here's, here's what they ruled. The Supreme Court decided that a pardon is only valid when the recipient of the pardon chooses to receive it. So, so here is the conversation that, that you and you and you and you and all, all of you over there, here, here's the conversation we need to have. Is there a pardon that God has offered through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that you have refused to give by doing this thing, by refusing him total access to your life? Is there something in your life that you know is not of God, but you're holding on to it because in some place in your mind, you believe, you believe that you know better. And if I can just hold on to it long enough, maybe God will see how this is a good thing for me and not a bad thing. You need to hear me tell you this, that when we hold on to those types of things, we forfeit, we forfeit the love of God as we cling to our worthless idols. God has a pardon for you. For your sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him the righteousness of God may belong to you and me. But we have to claim that. And if we refuse, if we hold on, if we cling to these things that have no spiritual value to our lives, if, they, if we cling to these things that push us away from God, then we forfeit the love that God has for us. So here, here's what I'd like to do. For, for just the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And, and I want you to, to wrestle with a, a few thoughts this morning. What is it in your life that you know that you know, that you know is displeasing to God. If you would just ask God to, to, to bring that to your mind. God, what is it? We, we prayed this prayer together last week. God, search me. Show me any grievous way within me. What is it today? 
that you need to lay down so that you can receive your pardon, your forgiveness of your sins so that you can once again enter into good and right fellowship with the heavenly father who gave his son so that you could walk in freedom. It's my hope that there are some in this room and under the sound of my voice tomorrow that walked into this place today without a relationship with God. I hope that that you've come today because I believe that God organized and orchestrated this moment for you to be able to make the decision that changes every decision and that changes every facet, that changes every direction that we walk in our lives. You today have the opportunity to begin a relationship with your heavenly father. It just takes your willingness to accept what's been offered, the pardon that he's extended and to submit your life to him. So in this moment, if that's you, if today is the day that you need to make a decision to begin your walk with Christ, with him as your savior and your Lord, would you just tell him, God, I know that I have been holding on to something that is going to carry me into the places I don't wanna go as it pertains to eternity. God, I don't wanna forfeit my pardon by clinging to a worthless idol. And so God, right now, I'm giving my life to you. I believe that you sent your son to stand in my place and to receive what was destined for me. And God, I don't even know how to begin repaying that, but here's what I can do. I can give you my life. I can submit my will to yours. God, would you help me? Help me to live the way that honors you because I believe that your son died for me and that you honored him by raising him back to life. And God, for that, I wanna follow you. If today isn't the day that you are beginning a relationship with Christ because you already have one, Believers, we carry the message of pardon in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths. I pray that none of us would go another day by holding on to something that somebody that we know and that we're in relationship with desperately needs. So maybe you and I could pray this prayer this morning. Father, forgive me for all the times I've been silent. Forgive me, God, for keeping the message of freedom to myself. God, forgive me of my fear that kept me from proclaiming the truth and the power, the sureness, the richness, and the the majesty of the message of Christ. God, give me the boldness to be a message carrier of the gospel. That everywhere I go and every person with whom I speak, that God, the message of your son would be on my lips so that not another would go a day without access to the hope that's provided through you. God, we love you. We thank you for the pardon we've received. 
we ask and beg and pray, God, that now you would commission us with boldness and power to proclaim the message of forgiveness and pardon to so many others. We love you, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the hope that we have in him. It's in his name I pray. Amen.